You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. We had a wonderful Thursday evening with Mike Jessup as we had our Kingdom Life Night. Uh, If you don't have that on your calendar, it's the third Wednesday night of the month. Make sure you put it down. It's just a wonderful, wonderful time of uh, just leisurely waiting in the presence of the Lord. Once again, it's, it's the concept, and I think it's such a true concept. If you will make a place, if you will make space and give time and space for, for the presence of the Lord, he will show up every time. And when he does, unfasten your seatbelt because it's time to move. Mm-hmm. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to begin our Easter series, this Lenten season, and uh, it's entitled Heading to Jerusalem. And we're going to be looking specifically at the Gospel of Luke. So I just want to encourage you as you go between now and Easter to just get into the Gospel of Luke and just be reading the Scripture. Luke is an amazing Gospel. He's, he was a physician. He's a, a professional, an educated man, uh, not like an a MD today, but you know, in first century, he was, he was definitely well-respected as a physician and was able to articulate. And he tells us that he's trying to, to present Jesus and everything that he did in, in a very orderly fashion. And so we, we see that his gospel is really unique. And when we get to chapter 9, which is where we're going to focus, and I encourage you, chapter 9 through 24, just continue to read the Gospels of Luke. Uh, we're going to see some key things that prepares us because there's a transition. Luke's gospel is one of the gospels that gives us uh, more details surrounding the birth of Christ than all the other gospels put together. And so we, we find an interesting, interesting dynamic as he, as he shares with the supernatural birth of Jesus and, and all the preparation, even going back to Elizabeth and John and, and all that goes through all the way up. And uh, it's just amazing when we look at, at the gospel. So we're going to spend time in, in the gospel of Luke. Now today, I'm quite ambitious. If you looked at the verses, it says 18 to 56. Wow. We were trained in seminary never to preach over 8 to 12 verses ever. And so I am violating everything my wonderful professors taught me. But uh, we're not going to pour into this. Today, you should receive something because there's about six messages in this message. But we're just going to glance through them. Uh, each one could serve, uh, deserves a whole Sunday in and of itself. But it's really interesting because with Luke, we go from his, his birth, his early childhood, his baptism, the temptation... Luke, he focuses on some key things. He focuses on the poor. He has a heart about the poor. He focuses on the Holy Spirit. You'll find Holy Spirit referred to throughout Luke even more so than the other Gospels. You'll find that he will, he will focus on uh, the prayer, the prayer of Jesus. It's, it's all the way through. And he's writing not just to Jews, but he's writing to Gentiles as well. So as you see these, it's, it's just amazing. Here in chapter 9, he says that Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Why? Because it was time to be taken up into heaven. Hmm. That's verse 51. 
Verse 51 is one of the pivotal verses, and chapter 9 is one of the pivotal chapters of all of this. we got 24 chapters in Luke. The first eight chapters come up to this point where we see all that Jesus had done up until now, and at this point in chapter 9, he turns to go to Jerusalem. He's headed to Jerusalem. He's going to fulfill the purpose for which he came. It's time for him to return back to heaven. So this is uh, an interesting, interesting uh, gospel. gospel. Here we find that, uh, well, let's begin reading at verse 18. We'll be in the NIV today. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. You're the Messiah, the long expected one. We've been waiting for you. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. He said to them, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised. Verse 22, he begins to talk about the passion. They have no concept for a Messiah who's going to suffer. Even though they have Isaiah's suffering servant of the Lord, They haven't equated the suffering servant of the Lord as the one who was the Messiah. They saw that as two different things. And here Jesus is showing that the suffering servant of the Lord is the Son of Man, is the Son of God. And he's reconciling all these Jewish concepts into himself. And he speaks of it first on the hills of Peter finally showing that he, they, they got it. All this time, the first eight chapters, the disciples are observing all of these things about Jesus. They're following him, they've left their nets, and as they're going along, they're seeing more and more of Jesus. They know he's different. They know he's different, but is he just another prophet? Is he anointed prophet? And then they come to the conclusion, no, this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. This is the Son of Man. This is the Son of God. And it's on that revelation, now that they realize who he is, he begins to impart to them what he's going to go through. What is going to be done to him? And so he prepares them for the suffering and really the trauma that they're going to observe as he's beaten as he suffers, as he's rejected. But here he says, even though they kill him, on the third day he will be raised to life. So as Jesus is heading, getting ready to head to Jerusalem, he's preparing them for what lies ahead, and he's preparing them for then the thing that no one saw coming, the resurrection. Uh, Several of us watched a video with Andy Stanley, and he's, he's talking about a new approach to, to how to communicate the gospel to the world. 
And he says, if anyone can predict his death and tell you that three days later he's going to rise from the dead, he can predict his, the day he's going to die, he's going to predict his death, he's going to predict his resurrection, and he pulls it off, listen to him. <laughs> Anybody that can do that uh, has, ha, has the right to be listened to. Verse 23, then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. About eight days after this, he said to Peter, or he took Peter and John and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. Have you noticed that in Luke, almost all the time that Jesus goes to prayer, he's going to a mountain to pray. Mountaintop prayers. Hmm, that could be a sermon series. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions, companions were very sleepy, but when they had become fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice from the clouds, a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. But when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met them. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it and they were afraid to ask him about it. 
An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. Master, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. Key verse, verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers on ahead of him who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked the Lord, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. Father, we pray for your anointing to come upon us, that everything that your word has been sent would be received. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to understand. Lord, let your word not return to you without having accomplished everything that you have sent it to. And we open ourselves. We make place for you to speak to us. In Jesus' name. It begins with the confession of Peter. You are the Christ of God. Hmm. Good start. It's a good start. From that foundation, Jesus can then begin to share with them what's going to happen. He tells them that he'll suffer and he'll be rejected, he'll be killed, and on the third day he'll be raised to life. And then he brings a passage of what it means if you're going to follow him. If you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you choose to come after me, this is what you have to do. You have to resolve this in your heart. Then the passage moves to the transfiguration. This is really, really important because Jesus is going to his death knowing exactly who he is. The disciples are understanding that he is the Christ, the Messiah. But then with the change of events, they're going to be confused but Jesus is, is reinforcing that. They not only have come to the conclusion based on his teaching, based on the words of eternal life that he gives them, based on the healings of the lepers, the blind, the deaf, the lame, the resurrection of the dead. They've seen all of that. But now they move into something they've never seen before. They move into a dimension of seeing Jesus as he was in his glorified state before he came to earth, the transfiguration. It happens eight days after Peter had confessed. Once again, it happens while Jesus is going up to the mountain and praying, which leads me to believe, I wonder how many incredible things happened when Jesus went to the mountain to pray and to spend time with the Lord. Here we get the one snippet where his his face changes, his countenance changes, his clothes changes, and Moses and Elijah comes on the 
on, this, on the scene and they're absolutely changed. He's up there praying with Peter, James, and John, but Peter, James, and John, probably keeping up with Jesus was exhausting. I, I think Jesus was in very, very good shape. I think his body functioned wonderfully and I think he could probably outwalk them all. I think he could go up the mountain and he was just in such good condition that it had, but it caught up to Peter, James, and John. They're exhausted. And so while Peter, uh, while Jesus is going off to pray, they fall asleep. They get drowsy. Take a look at your neighbor if they're looking sleepy. Make sure that you give them a little elbow. Say, you don't want to miss this. Because Jesus is transfigured right there before them. As, they, as the three disciples, I'll call them the three, as they, as they come awake, they see him in his glory. I don't know about you, but that would do something to me. I'm already amazed at the words of life that comes out of this man. I'm amazed at, at the miracles and the healings and the deliverances and the resurrections that he's performed. But now I see him in glory. I see him in dazzling, lightning-shaped glory. So glorious you can't even hardly uh, keep your eyes fixed on it. All this is to substantiate, folks, he's going to die. But he's God. He is the Son of Man. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And so they see this and they're just, they're just taken by it. So Peter, not knowing what to say, says, because I, I believe Peter speaks this as he sees Moses and Elijah, according to the text, they begin to leave. And the last thing he wants to do is to see them leave. He's, hold on, we'll, we'll pitch a tent. We'll, we'll make some shelters for you. Meaning, we want you to stay. We want you to stay. He's not only saying we want you to stay, we don't want you to leave, but he's also saying, oh man, Jesus, we didn't know that you were this great. You're right there with Moses and Elijah. You're right there with the two great ones from the Old Testament. Wow, Jesus, you've, you're, the status you have is pretty amazing. And then the cloud comes. Because Father wants to correct bad theology. <laughs> he needs to correct the understanding. Jesus is not on par with Elijah and Moses. He surpasses them. And so the, the cloud comes, and as it appears, it envelops them. And as it comes around them, they enter into the cloud. Now, that's a lot of different prepositions going on there, but it's like, whoa, what's going on here? As they enter into the cloud, they're afraid. There is fear. The holy presence of God. Yay. The Shekinah, the, the kind of tangible representation of the presence of God that filled the temple and nobody could even go in. They couldn't even stand in the midst of it. And yet they're enveloped in it. And the voice speaks from the cloud, just like it did at Jesus' baptism. This is my son. This guy is mine. This is my boy. This is my son. It doesn't say like the baptism, whom I love. It says, whom I've chosen, and I dare say, whom I've chosen, I've chosen in love. 
I believe it's, it's, it's on parallel with the same. This is my son whom I love. Listen, you bozos. <laughs> A little Rick Francis interpretation. Listen to him. Listen to him. Why? Don't just listen to Moses. Don't just listen to Elijah. You listen to Jesus. You listen to the Messiah. This begins in chapter 9 of Luke. Jesus is teaching his disciples all the way through chapter 19. Just one parable, one story, one teaching, one opportune moment after another. He's teaching them. Why? Because his departure date is coming. He knows it's about time for him to leave. They finally got who he is. They still don't get it, but they've got some of it. And he's trying to reinforce it and reinforce it and reinforce it. Is it not the same with us? We come to Jesus, a lot of times, often we come to Jesus early in childhood, and he's the sweet little shepherd that puts us little lammies on his shoulder, and he carries us around, and he comforts us, and he's so good. And then we realize we have sin and that he's forgiven us our sin. We think, oh, you're so wonderful. Thanks for forgiving us our sin. We're excited about that. And then we, we realize as we continue that he's calling us to something. He's calling us into an intimate fellowship. He's planning on marrying us someday. We are going to be the bride of Christ. And, and so we realize he's doing that. We, we realize that he's partnering with us. He's inviting us into his father's work to do the kingdom, to be in the father's will, just as he was in the father's will. He's inviting us into all of this stuff. And so it just continues to grow. The disciples, they see, they're growing, they're getting a, they're getting a clue, they're starting to connect the dots, but they still haven't quite there's nothing that could probably prepare them within their Jewishness for the radical shift that's going to happen with the suffering of the Messiah that they never, never connected. They were really hoping for that. The Messiah is going to launch, and they're thinking that with Peter's confession, it's all now gravy. We are going to take over the Roman world and beyond. And so Jesus is very strategically and the Father is very strategically showing these guys, especially Peter, James, and John, who he is. They see him in his glory. So when we think of Jesus entering into his passion, we should never think of, oh, poor Jesus. Those mean people, look what they did to him. No, he was the glorious, the transfigured, the radiant son of God. Right on. He was the son of man that endured that because he chose to obey and to follow his father in his father's will. So, the three saw his glory. They're going to build shelters. The voice comes, my son, I've chosen, listen to him. And they don't know what to do with that. The three told nobody what they'd seen. They had seen something that just blew their ability to make any rational, sane explanation of what they've just seen. They don't even know how to process it. They need at least two months in therapy 
to, to just kind of process what they've witnessed. But they, they don't have, so they, they're, they're silent. They can't even talk about it. They don't tell the other nine disciples. They don't tell them what they saw. They're up there for a day. So the next day they're coming down from the mountain. I don't know if that's a, a time signature of how long they hiked up the mountain. And that's why Peter, James, and John were so tired when they got up there because it's a day's hike. Or if they were up there and Jesus was, was with the transfigured Elijah and Moses for the better part of the day. But we get the time signature that they're coming down. And as he comes down, he comes down to a father who is beside himself. He's got an only son who's demonized and he's brought him to the disciples, the other nine, all nine of them together, couldn't do anything about it. And here we have the story. The father identifies his son condition as a spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsion so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him. So it's a constant condition that he's, that he's experienced and it is destroying him. We have other passages, other synoptic gospels that tell us, you know, that it throws him in the fire, tries to drown him in the water, you know, all the different things that the spirit tries to do. <laughs> and while he was bringing his son to Jesus, the demon manifests and throws him to the ground into a convulsion. So there's something about grandstanding. The demonic loves to grandstand. They love to make a spectacle of things whenever, whenever they can. But here's Jesus. But Jesus. I love the divine conjunction. But Jesus. He rebuked the evil spirit. He healed the boy and he gave the boy back to his father. I love that. Rebuke the, the evil spirit, heal the boy and give him back to his father. Jesus is doing a lot of rebuking in chapter nine. Sometimes it's uh, the, the kingdom of darkness he's rebuking. Sometimes it's his disciples he's rebuking, which we'll see here in a minute. And the conclusion that they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Once again, they're just astounded. Now, can you imagine if you're one of the three, Peter, James, and John, you just saw Jesus transfigure. You saw Moses, you saw Elijah. You have this encounter with the voice of the Father in the cloud, and you're told to listen. So they come down, they haven't said anything to anybody. And as soon as they come down, here is one of the hardest disciples assignments that they've ever faced. And they are unsuccessful. They have failed. They get an F minus on this one. And then Jesus comes and does the, does the healing. He, he rebukes, he heals, he gives back the boy and everybody sees the greatness of God. Praise the Lord. And, and the nine who wasn't up on the mountain, they see this greatness and they're right there with all the people, the large crowd of people. And they're thinking, man, this Jesus is absolutely amazing. The greatness of this man, he's gotta be the king. He's gotta be the Messiah. This is absolutely unbelievable. So Jesus, while everybody else is marveling at him, he says to his disciples, listen 
Oh, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? They were just told by the cloud to listen to Jesus. And Jesus says, listen. I think Peter, James, and John probably picked up on that. They should have caught this, and it should have really pricked their ear and their spirit. Carefully to what I'm about to tell you, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. Wow. How's come Jesus keeps raining on our parade? Thou art the Christ, and I'll suffer and die and be rejected, and the third day be raised. Here's the glory, and we come down, the, and, and I'm going to be betrayed. It's like, man, would you just let us be happy and, and celebrate how great and awesome you are? No, because now you need to realize that in just a few days, you're going to see the Messiah suffer like you've never been prepared to see the Messiah suffer. Understand this. I am the glorious son of God. I am the Christ. See it by what I do, see it by what I say, and see it by the glory that you have witnessed in the transfiguration. Man. Well, it says they didn't understand what that meant. If I tell you you're going to get betrayed, you should have a clue that it's not going to be fun. It was hidden from them. They couldn't grasp it, and they were afraid to ask about it. Isn't that interesting what fear does to us? It silences us. When we hear something that doesn't conform to the things, the way we expect things to go, we can't understand, and we become too frightened to ask the question. I wonder what would have happened if Peter, James, and John would have said, "Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We just saw. We just saw. We know who you are. How can you be betrayed?" How can anybody betray you? You are the best. You're the most godly. You're, you're the most pure, the most moral. You're the, the goodest person we know. How could anybody betray you? They didn't ask. So what do they do? Well, the three that went up on the mountain, probably feeling pretty good about themselves. We saw something that you didn't see. Uh-huh, we must be greater than you guys because you guys didn't get go up. So they're talking about who's the greatest. And Jesus welcomes the child, has the child stand beside him. And he, he once again shows that the kingdom values is completely different than the world's. Greatness is not defined by position and status. Greatness is defined by humility and humbling yourself to be the least. That's who's the greatest. So then they go, and we finally get to the last little pericope, little paragraph in Bible theology talk. As, as we get to that last part, they're going to a Samaritan village, and there Jesus sends the disciples to prepare, and the Samaritans finds out he's heading for Jerusalem. They don't want any part of Jesus. No part. And so they come back and say they they're not going to receive us. Shall we call down fire from heaven and destroy them? 
Who's this? This is James and John. We call them sons of thunder. Wanting the lightning to strike. Wanting to bring down fire from heaven. Huh. Peter, James, and John. Hmm. Uh, two out of the three that went up on the mountain. Okay. And they're coming and they're saying, we know who you are. You are the glorious son of God. And they're not going to receive you. Let's smite them. Let's take care of them. They, they're understanding who he is, but they're not understanding who he is. They're understanding that he's divine, but they're not understanding that he's laying down his life. That he's choosing to suffer. He's choosing to go that way. And so Jesus has to do another rebuke. The last rebuke of chapter 9 goes to his, his two disciples. He has to rebuke them. And what's he do? He goes to another village. Whoever welcomes a child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. The Samaritan village would not welcome me because they wouldn't welcome the disciples that came to prepare. They don't welcome the one who sent me. Jesus doesn't make a big, do, a big to-do about it. He just quietly goes off to another village that will receive him. And isn't that the interesting thing about the love of God? It never forces itself. It's looking for who's receptive, who will welcome. Yeah. I don't know about you, but it's like, Holy Spirit, would you just release a, a welcome anointing in me that every time I have got a posture of receptivity to everything Jesus wants to do. I want to be a welcoming person of the king and his kingdom. I want to be a welcoming person to the will that you have for me, Father. I want to welcome you. <laughs> and then it concludes with, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Hallelujah. He set out for Jerusalem not knowing what's going to happen. No, he knew exactly what was going to happen. He set out for Jerusalem knowing who he was. He sat out for Jerusalem as the glorified Son of Man, the glorified Son of God. He set out for Jerusalem because it was time to be taken up to heaven. Mm. So I want to just summarize with what the voice in the clouds say. Listen. Listen. As we go through this Lenten season, I just pray that there would be not only that spirit of welcoming and receptivity inside us, but there would also be an anointing on our ears to hear and to listen. And I know if, you know, for the last 15 years, I've been telling you that the Hebrew Shema, if you hear, the word for hear is the same root for the word to obey. And so as we listen to the Lord through this Lenten season and the rest of our lives throughout all eternity, just tack that one on, 
Let's listen with a heart to receive and obey. Let's listen with, a, with an openness. Because it could be some of our theological constructs that we have where we think we've understood everything about this gospel and everything about this kingdom, there still may be a, a, a shift. Because if it's true, as Paul is praying that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, to share in the fellowship of his sufferings, then there is a sense in which the disciples had to stumble through this because they could not perceive of a Messiah who was going to have to suffer. And for many in the body of Christ, we, we, we get a theology that we don't perceive of a believer who may have to suffer. I'm not going to try to develop a suffering theology, but I am saying that we can't be shaken when as a believer, for the sake of Christ, we endure rejection, persecution, and some form of suffering. If we are to be like Christ, if he is an example for us, if he is an example of us, it should be a wake-up call to not be surprised. To not be surprised. I'm not going to prophesy it. I'm not going to say, get ready, you're going to suffer for Jesus. I'm not going to prophesy it, but at the same time, I'm not going to be surprised if it happens. I'm not going to prophesy a negative thing to come into my life, but at the same time, as I'm pursuing and walking in intimacy with him, and as I'm continuing to have fellowship with him, if difficulties come, I'm not going to be shocked. Now, I'm not going to plan for it. I think we, we plan for it as Christians way too often. We have a wonderful mountaintop experience with the Lord, and then we're just wondering what's going to happen now. Well, I'm sure the devil's going to have a, an attack on me. And we almost prophesy an assault. We, we have faith that we know that after something good happens and the Lord uses us wonderfully, a lot of times we have more faith in the ability of the evil one to come at us at that point than we do the Lord to protect us. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. So don't misunderstand when, when you hear me saying that don't be surprised if suffering comes. I'm not saying expect the devil to kick your butt. I'm not saying that. I'm saying he may try, but greater is he that is in you than he's in the world. We have the shield of faith. We have the shield of victory. We have the shield. We have divine protection. We want to utilize that. But if suffering comes because of righteousness sake, if suffering comes because you're following the Lord Jesus, if suffering comes as you're developing and you're going through maybe a growth spurt, where all of a sudden things get really difficult because it's time to stretch some muscles that you, you're going to need, hmm, don't be surprised. But let's not anticipate it. But let's not be surprised. <laughs> but let's not anticipate. Let's not prophesy it. Let's not open our hearts and welcome all sorts of evil against us. No, 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 no. 
the enemy is trying to do everything he can do because he's defeated and he knows his days are short. They're limited. So it shouldn't surprise us when he tries to do his antics. But we need to know who we are. We need to know who Jesus is. We need to realize that the glory that he had on the Mount of Transfiguration is a shared glory that he has chosen to give to us in John 17. He says, the glory that you gave me, I have given to them. So don't fear. Don't fear. Welcome his presence. Enjoy his presence. Enjoy increased intimacy with him. In this Lenten season, ah, listen. Listen to what he's saying. Develop that heart that welcomes, that, that welcomes those in his name. Let's welcome him. Let's welcome people in his name. People who don't even know him, welcome in his name. That includes every human being. We have the ability to welcome in his name. Oh, yeah. And as we welcome, he loves the world, folks. Loves it so much he gave his only begotten son. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he loves. And as we love, as we welcome, we welcome him. We welcome the one who sent him. So, Father, we welcome you right now. <laughs> we thank you for your love and your grace. As we see you, Jesus, heading to Jerusalem, you are the glorified Christ. You're more than a prophet. You have authority, you have power, and you have greatness. And yet, in your great love and obedience, you allowed things to be done to you that's unspeakable, that is inhuman, that is deplorable. But they didn't do it because you were weak. They didn't do it because you couldn't protect yourself. They could only do it because you allowed it to be done, to fulfill a righteous assignment. We praise you that as we go through this Lenten season and as we look at the things that you taught your disciples and prepared them intensively during this time, we pray, Lord, that it would be a re-intensification of our identity and our call and the things that you're speaking to us. Lord, there's much within the gospel that sometimes we just don't understand. We say, let your Holy Spirit come and show us and open us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive and believe. And so may we be salt and light in the earth. May we partner with you. May we represent your glory in this hour. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we had a, a wonderful time of ministry last Thursday, and some of you were here, some of you weren't. And uh, it, uh, Anne came up to me and said, can we do that again on Sunday? She, I mean, isn't it something, when you're in a ministry environment and the presence of the Lord is there and you see him, you see him doing things inside that's bringing real, real change, real healing, real transformation, real encouragement, words that lift, the words that are full of life. It just, it just fuels. So I, I don't want to just quit because it's 12, because I think he, 
He wants to do more. So let's listen. I invite you all to just listen to what the Lord is saying to you that he wants to do for you or that he wants to do through you for another. Worship team, are you... I think we need to always be intentional when we gather to, to just allow the Holy Spirit to put a, a sharp edge on that cutting part of our lives so that we can go forth and minister in his love and light. And so come, Holy Spirit. Show us, give us, speak to us, anoint us. Uh, to receive everything that you have for us and then to flow through us to another. I pray, Father, that you would give us words, that you would give us knowledge that could be used to bless, to anoint and to inspire and to commission. Mm. To see the truth of the gospel go forth. The wonder of Jesus. We come into your abundance. As we sing this last song, if you have anything that you want to receive ministry for, feel free to come to us. We'll pray for those that come forward. Just because no, if if there's people that don't come forward, that doesn't mean that they're safe. Okay? Everybody is a target of Father's love. Sure is. And the way we minister is we always minister blessing and encouragement. And feel free to move about the room and the one that the Lord lays on your heart, feel free to go and see what he gives you, how to bless them, how to pray for them how to minister to them. So Holy Spirit, come and do for us that which is deep, deep, deep in your heart. And we forever will be thankful. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.